0: Happy to have you back listening to us. And I apologize. We apologize. It's been a while. And we're going to try and keep it rolling. I'm going to try and keep this intro short. Because I feel this conversation, while it starts off kind of slow. and ends kind of with me being very sick. And coughing. And my voice going away. I think it's a very good conversation. And I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, once again this conversation features the music from our friends Astral and given the I guess context of when I'm posting this I'm using their song Gulf of Mexico off of their not current album but a, a great album it's and Blues so check out Panastral Panastral.com Panastral on SoundCloud Astral on iTunes astral on Bandcamp This is Pan Astral playing Gulf of Mexico, leading into a conversation Michelle and are having, where we're talking about the nonsense that is Fox News and War on Christmas, but also leading into Tony Center's book, which we both really, really enjoyed and I'll include a link to in the show notes, thestrangedonge.com. There, so that you can check out the show notes, which will include the two sides of Roto on freedom. And here uh, we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go,
1: here
0: we go. Thank you. history of that in relation Uh to what um, I've been reading in The Road to Unfreedom by Timothy Snyder. It's like, no, I I think it's fairly straightforward. I'm sure there's all sorts of historical precedents for it, but this idea that tradition is uh, under attack is, uh, I I think, something that's not new. And I thought that was pretty cool in Snyder's book where he keeps talking about the politics of eternity and... uh,
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the other one? Oh gosh. I should have inevitability. Started... Yeah, inevitability. I'm just Oh god, we better do this quick. My brain's gonna <laughs> implode.
2: It it's it, jumping off right into the philosophical points of his book is probably a really like hard way to go about this too. <laughs> true,
0: true. Um but maybe we'll go into this from something else there then. Um and I don't know if he's listened to this, and if he has like We've talked about him before. I've told him we've talked about him before. So if Uh you are listening, friend, um, yes, or friendo, we are talking about you. Last night, he sent me a text which had a link to what basically just looked like a right-wing version of, like, Mediate or um, the right-wing version of left-wing sites that, like, make fun of Fox News. Okay. And it was, like... The worst moments in the media from 2018, and it was all just this <laughs> crap about. Uh, I mean, for instance, they took Ronan Farrow completely out of context with okay. one sentence, and then just used hyperbole to spin something it completely wasn't. Okay. <laughs> um, another one was, and I I know that the right wing media sphere has had fun with this, where and Don Lemon said that. One of the biggest threats to America is white men. Unfortunately, he's not wrong. Yes, like Mm. that needs some context to it. Right. But uh, if you look at crime statistics that have happened, well, ever, but especially the past (laughs) couple of years, he's not wrong. It's just that um, we got, we apparently have to remove, well, it's, we have to remove chastising white people for what they do because that's, you know, well, If we do it to blacks, it's bad. But one of the main things that Obama was criticized for in regards to race by white people was calling a police officer basically an idiot for refusing to Mm -hmm. let a black man back into his own home. And the reason why people were mad was, well, you shouldn't call this man racist. Well, why is this police officers plus, like, the white people who... Um, we're worried that a black man was getting into his own home. Right. Why are their rights more important than a very famous black man? It it shouldn't be like it kind of like yeah. right now, how we're seeing that's all of a sudden uh, Mike Flynn is being railroaded. And because uh, the justice system is working the way that it has worked for, I, I don't want to say centuries, but in our country, at least close to a century where. Hey, uh, if you did something wrong, and you got busted for it, and you got some people to give up, that's kind of how it works. Uh, mm-hmm. If they know you did something wrong, and they know you are probably going to lie, they might uh, get you to lie and then use that against you. Right. Um, but, yeah. And also what I brought into this was from Snyder's book, where you know, they can't just sit there and go, well, the right-wing media fucking blows They have to tear down the entire media, as Snyder alludes Mm -hmm. to in his book, where Russia is going under Putin's leadership. Well, yeah, sure, things are bad here. But if we, you know, sow chaos and make it bad in Western Europe and America and make it look, Mm -hmm. hey, things are just as bad there, then can we really go, well, is it really that bad here? Because it's bad there somewhat, you know. Right. Um, I feel I've been rambling too long already, so...
2: No, that's okay. Uh. So, I mean, that, but that's one of the finer points of, of Snyder's book in The Rotown Freedom, is that it's the process of, of Putin and his government to uh, maintain power and spread their power by sowing chaos in other places. But by, by doing so, they're also proving to their own people that everybody else are the bad guys,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and so in and that's one of the things. So let's let's draw back in that philosophical point. The you know the politics of eternity. It's that uh, Russia has always been in this uh, has always been this like pure state that was always attacked by outsiders. Yes, and and so within that that politics of eternity, nothing really matters. There is no truth. There are no choices. It's just that. Russia is good and everybody else is bad and to get his people to believe that he will cause problems in other places and then turn to his people. See, see how bad things are over there. It's you know, things might be hard here in Russia, but the, our enemies, those, those people that are trying to destroy Russia, they're suffering worse. And that's the only good in life is that, you know, life yes. is, is terrible and brutish and short, um, to make a really bad, uh, Uh, paraphrasing, Um, but the only joy you can get out of life is by making your enemies suffer worse than you.
0: And I I, I really think we're seeing that here with, um, I I hate to call them this, but for lack of a better term, because I don't see any other way to to call them anything but this, but never, never Trumpers, Mm -hmm. where no matter what Trump does, says, or what is revealed, they go, well, what about this thing that Obama did? or the mm-hmm. media has said, and again, it's taken the context and spun up into complete nonsense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, you know, okay, well, so those of us that want to engage this and be serious about it, we want to go, okay, well, let's say your point is correct, which we shouldn't do. Um, but where myself, for myself, I have been drawn into that and we'll go, but, even if that were true, shouldn't we always demand better of ourselves? And they'll go, but you didn't at the time, which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, just using myself as an example here and drawing into something that actually happened this week with Trump's just random uh, troop withdrawal announcements from both Syria and Afghanistan.
1: Afghanistan.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was hypercritical of Obama's strategy in both iraq iraq and afghanistan especially afghanistan going no no, no 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 like if you want to do afghanistan right you either have to do it in a big way or you have to do it not at all
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i think he was correctly criticized by a lot of people where he played not to lose if you want to say that trump is just like getting out of there which because he doesn't want to play to lose anymore I guess that's fair, but he's not saying that. He's saying mission accomplished for, I guess, kind of a simplistic kind of uh, reference there. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: um, in Syria in particular, where Russia again is saying that the U.S. shouldn't have been there because Russia Mm -hmm. was asked as a savior to go to Syria who was being attacked by not just... uh, Revolutionaries in Syria, because they wouldn't say that it's like how happened in Ukraine, they are being attacked by the forces of the West. So Russia is again coming to the defense of somebody who is under attack from the West. Um, <laughs> one of the kind of weirdest things in Snyder's book so far that I was both like, whoa, but also like, Come on, damn it, is how they so neatly repackage. Their own fascism, anti-Semitism, just all these terrible things, and then flip it and toss it back at their opponents or uh, critics or whatever. And it just makes me think of Dinesh D'Souza with, well, no, um, how could we be racist when the Democrats were racist in 1860? Right. You know, thinking about that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the repackaging of information and uh, the it's all relative and there is no truth. The only truth is that I'm right. Yes. And like using Syria as kind of a microcosm of that, you know, I the big point, one of the big points through Snyder's book is that Putin's been playing this game of savior Mm-hmm. And um, great leader for a couple decades now. Um, and he has, he and the Russian government have helped escort Trump into that territory as well, or at least playing a really crappy caricature of that type yes. of figure, right? Like that's ultimately who everybody knows Trump wants to be Putin. He wants to be a Russian oligarch he does. and he wants to be admired in whatever you know however the mechanism is is set so that he is admired he wants to be like putin so like when he did send troops into syria and even before that when he sent uh, missiles into syria that was one of the highest points in trump's presidency because remember a lot of reactions was like oh that was very um that was very succinct him. You know, he got a lot of praise for military onslaught into Syria. But the problem was that was infringing on Russia's <laughs> praise and glory for being involved in Syria. Yep. Yeah. So it was Trump entering Syria, trying to act like Putin. And Putin said, hold on a second.
0: <laughs> you don't know what you're doing here.
2: You don't know what you're doing. You need to get out of there. And sure enough, that's exactly what's happening is he's just he, it seems like he's taking Putin's orders. Because mm-hmm. Putin, it, Putin is the ultimate,
0: and then it kind of broke up first. Yeah,
2: he's he's still the ultimate figure. He's the ultimate example of what yeah. it means to be a leader, and uh, Trump was kind of stepping on his toes there.
0: I love Snyder's characterization of Trump as a failed businessman. Mm-hmm. Who, I'm not being conspiratorial here by saying there is vast amounts of evidence. To show that Trump was propped up, whether or not by Putin specifically and directly, Trump was propped up by Russian money and was yes. for years. And the people that around Trump that have been indicted and are going to prison, like Manafort, like Gates, uh, like mm-hmm. Papadopoulos, like Flynn. Actually, Flynn. Mm-hmm. Who knows with Flynn, he might not go to jail. Yeah. Like Basically, the judge gave him kind of like a. Do you really want to do this? <laughs> and Flynn's like, no. Which is kind of a glimpse into he... Trump's uh, legal maneuvering, where they're not doing so much legal maneuvering as it is, hey, let's have Rudy go on TV and do a PR stunt, uh, and hope mm-hmm. that none of this ever actually goes into court. Uh, but I'm sorry, what you were gonna say?
2: Oh well, I'm. I mean, just oh, um. So him being a failed businessman, yes. And the long track record, the oligarchy, the paper trail is there. It is. And <laughs> and so it's like, I, I heard an interview with Snyder who talked about his uh, his pocket proclaimed and he to resist authoritarianism, basically, you know, for not from a democracy with oligarchical characteristics to an oligarchy with democratic characteristics, yes. which is what Russia has,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that um, it's is trying to—you're ultimately trying to sell the untruth that there is no truth, and yes. that everybody lies, and all politicians are bad,
0: except for the I ones who want to love
2: bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, not just the ones you want to love, but it's like, oh, well, he's a liar, but he's an honest liar.
0: Yes, or
2: doing the backdoor deals. We're watching the deals go. Know the criminality he is involved with, but more trustworthy than the un-deals that other politicians have traditionally done.
0: Mm-hmm. It also makes me think of in regards to Putin. um Again, I I probably keep mentioning him too much, but it's just, I guess it's hard to avoid it because I watched so much of his shows. But um, Uh Anthony Bourdain once described uh, the way that Russians feel about Putin as the way that New Yorkers once felt about Giuliani. Or, yes, he's an asshole, but he's our asshole. Right. And I I think it's a great point. Like, yeah, he's doing terrible, horrendous shit, but he's doing it on our behalf. There's it's nothing. for the
2: greater good.
0: Yeah. Though. Like which,
2: that's, that's the thing. Like, Oh, I promise this is for the greater good. I'm the only one that can fix this. So you just got to trust me.
0: I alone can fix it. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> he literally said that he did Some literally said stuff like that.
0: So. That's a direct quote. Actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, the first part of Snyder's book where he keeps talking about, and I'll have to look up. Well, well, have all sorts of show notes from this, um, but Putin's favorite—I I keep putting this in quotes—philosopher, uh, yes. Iline. Well, he
2: calls him. He calls him a historian. That's true. He calls so him both. Putin, You're so yeah. So the the quotation marks. It's it's more apt to put the quotes around the word historian because Illichinin was a fascist thinker from the twenties and thirties who was kicked out of Soviet Russia because yes. he didn't like the Soviets, which <laughs> I found so surprising. So, you know, the first full chapter of Snyder's book was basically all new information for me. I don't know about you. Yes, yes. But this, this quote unquote historian, or at least that's what Putin calls him is historian. Um, but this, this fascist philosopher, believing in the the pure Russian spirit and the redeemer who would come to save them um, and who thought that, you know, elections would only be for participation so they feel like they're part of the system but really elections hey, are dangerous
0: there's familiar. no individual
2: thought it, right exactly like <laughs> there's no individual thought it's only it's only this well and they're called eurasianists there were more than it was more yes. than just Elaine but these eurasianists who believe there was a collective culture of um parts of what are now europe and and mainly russia that they were all just this one grand kind of uh, community that was always under attack by the west and the evil nation states of capitalist western europe and uh yeah putin just loves the shit out of this guy and he's like he reappropriated his manuscripts from Michigan State University and had them taken back to Moscow. Yep. Uh, he paid and had a burial ceremony because the guy died in exile in Switzerland. Yeah. He had his bones moved back to Russia Which so he could be buried weird. as a hero. Like it's, And it, nobody liked this guy back in the 20s or 30s, no. and certainly the Soviet government didn't like him. That's why they exiled him. But this guy really thought that you know Hitler and Mussolini – knew what was up and that life was nothing but an eternal struggle with no basis of time or choice, but it was always an internal struggle of these different factions and, and races. So um, that's who Putin admires. And he quotes him regularly in his state of the unions. Well, the Russian equivalent of the state of the union speeches, I don't know what they're actually called, Um, but he quotes this guy. So that's, that's what Putin believes is, is, is fascism.
0: And we'll get into Trump, I guess, in a second here, but, What I found so fascinating about this was Steve Bannon, who uh, is now so toxic that he can't speak at functions about sex robots. um, (laughs) And he's toxic because he's he's because he actually should be toxic, but he's Uh toxic to, to MAGA world because he, you know, demanded to be given credit for what he thinks is his role in all of this, which basically he just decided to fully tap into white supremacy, mm-hmm. and you know because he's read a lot of books, according to him, um, he this he like he thought it was a revolution he found or some sort of movement when all he did was stumble into white supremacy, but mm-hmm. really what he did in simplistic terms is he just channeled Eileen where ban doesn't want to be thought of as a moron. Mm-hmm. So when people would question him, like, do you really think that these false things that Trump has said are true? He goes, well, no, but the media is the enemy because ultimately he'll make it right because he'll make this the truth,
1: mm-hmm. which is yeah. exactly
0: what Eileen said is that right. facts don't matter because all that matters basically is the strong man that will and, and again it is a man um which will make well, I'll, we'll get into this later uh will make people like Ben Shapiro very happy uh we're on Christmas we're on men yay um mm-hmm. <laughs> that it is a man of destiny that will eventually lead everyone to at least order, I suppose, is Eileen's kind of thing.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. we shouldn't believe in facts. We shouldn't believe in freedom. We just should believe in that society needs to be, I guess, orderly. And that mm-hmm. is meant to happen under a strongman leader.
2: Right. And uh, the other thing that kind of threw me for a loop with Eileen and the people who um, – have resurrected his his philosophies is which that is he wasn't so just a, weird.
0: He's such an idiot. He's so so,
2: so freaking weird, right? Yeah. So it was, and and this I'm pulling this straight from um, Snyder, who is a really like excellent historian, and I totally trust his judgments here. But he calls Eileen not only a fascist philosopher, but a Christian fascist yeah. philosopher, which to me is even more strange because I tend to think of uh, you know these political philosophies as being very secular but Eileen also always put a spin on it that had to do with sexuality mm-hmm. so the redeemer yes, the redeemer yes, the yes. leader is not only going to be a man of destiny but he will be a bold <laughs> traditionally heterosexual and very very masculine yes. man of destiny and so even to this day when the kremlin is talking about like that you know deviance or attacks from the west or whatever they always put kind of they're all homosexuals yeah they put a homosexual spin on it and um there's really disturbing examples too of like nigel farage and marine Le pen you know from britain and france respectively going to russia saying hey my buddy putin knows what's up and also we hate gays too you know like there's always this like if they're not Jewish deviants, they're, they're sexual deviants and therefore they are gay. So they're always talking about Russia being raped, Russia being sodomized. There's this <laughs> really like unhinged perverse sexual spin on everything that they talk about. So us here in America, when we're like, yep. hey, gay marriage is okay now. that's like, oh no, you know, like we really got to get in there. So they're, you know, these, it's all, they're all connected in this weird way. And I almost can't wrap my head around it because I just don't think like that. And I didn't know about any of this until I read this book.
0: Well, that's why I wanted to get into, I don't know if it's just like, we're progressing far enough that now transphobia seems to be like, not that homophobia Mm. isn't a problem, but I feel like,
2: no, it still is. But transphobia has seen, um, We've seen that come more to light on a like a national scale than we ever had before. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just I think it's in part due to um the fact that we were so blinded to the concept of um trans people, transsexuality, yes. that it wasn't even talked about. And- let alone like oh let's culturally we need to address this and do something about this because this isn't right like in the it was not i would say it was definitely not in our national like consciousness until like two years ago in book yes so yes. chapter he's talking about you know basically a thesis and the antithesis and how um if you use individualism as a thesis the antithesis the is- and and so that's, you know, the, the, evil, the evil West mm-hmm. embraces is that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be novel. It's okay to question things. Yes, yes. It's okay to believe in facts, and it's, it's okay to uh, question your readers. But totalitarianism is the complete opposite of that. There is no thought. There is no, there is no emotion. There is no choice. There is just the one. There is just the one community, and we are all a part of it, and that's it. You step out of line, you're done. Yes. So, uh, you know, so that's how. That's just another way, or like another component of all of this, like with the, you know, like sexualizing Western deviation into just homosexuality, is that's another that's a way to otherize something, because that doesn't seem normal or natural. It's not part of the totality. It's other. It's different. Um and you know, we we live in a culture well where we're quite I would say more and more, especially as, as generations go on, more and more individualities embrace. But yes. a lot of people are really uncomfortable by that because it it it's uh it's a way to it's seen as an um a way to undermine stability instead yes. of create creating new and better stability,
0: which Snyder introduces early in his book. And as someone yeah, who very early. You know, studied political science, albeit not for a long time um, at the politics of eternity, like when he introduced that, because I don't think i would ever heard that before. I'm like, Oh wow.
2: I hadn't either. That yeah. makes a I lot to of sense. I can read it again. Mm-hmm.
0: Because, um, And I'm not trying to paint all conservatives in a bad light here, but it really is because he talks about in the book where there are people that believe that government can do things to adapt, to evolve, that will actually make a positive change in people's lives. Like not just Mm -hmm. like a people, but like the majority of society. And there are those that go. Well no the problem that happens is when the government intervenes
1: mm-hmm. on
0: behalf of minorities mm-hmm. and tries to make things better because it, they fail because things are eternal and they will remain that way and until we like reconcile our need to remain true to the politics of eternity the politics of the real tradition the things that will remain have remained and, and just have always been there we will always fail and i mm-hmm. and once i like listened to that and like thought about it, I'm like wow how did i not heard that before
2: right and i i didn't do research on the concepts either so i don't know if the politics of eternity and the inevitability or, like this like long-standing um, poli sci or you know, multidisciplinary and way to look at the world and to look at history or not or Snyder was just like you know what this is what I think and um, but I think it's a really intriguing concept and I think the part that um, it was really uh, I don't know it kind of struck a chord in me was that it's not that the politics of um, inevitability and the politics of eternity are these two separate things like there there's a fork in the road and you either go one way or the other
1: Mm -hmm. but that
2: if you keep going down the road of the politics of inevitability you may eventually get to the it'll slowly turn into the road of the politics of eternity yes that it's like a layering and that it's before you get to that point that you need to you need to reconsider things so i it's so and this might this is just my own interpretation i don't really know if this is a good way to put it but I feel like it's a critique of, of exceptionalism in general because that's the United point. States, yeah, because you know, we, think, we think of the United States, American exceptionalism, which is a, you know, a concept very much bandied about, that the United States is different and that it's special and that it's right and that it's good. That's a, an example of the politics of inevitability. The, another phrase is that the arc of history um, veers towards justice. And But, you know, that's really not true because even as time proceeds, we inevitably end up at this place that's utopic and perfect. But the problem with that is that there are people and people make choices and it can yep. change things along the way. Politics of inevitability and American, so i.e. American exceptionalism is something that we already suffer from. But his point is that if we just keep going down that road and we quit questioning things or we believe there is no truth, or that, um, you know, if we if we are destined to this certain place, then who gives a fuck what happens along the way? That's the politics of eternity, and that's what leads to fascism.
0: Which um, isn't a bad thing if you flip it on its face, like uh, Putin has done, and calls people mm-hmm. who are fascists, well, sorry, who aren't fascist fascists fascists, um, just as I said Dinesh D'Souza does with his... Uh, followers who says no you're not the real races. Right. they're the races. um i don't want to get too much into this because i i always feel like I, I shouldn't get into my own business too much here but <laughs> i've been helping <laughs> out at a uh, account in the past couple of weeks for my own company where we're working with a customer and the customer is desperately trying to get the rest of their business to understand the value that not only they bring. Like this particular like site. But that we bring with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And. The best way. We, that everyone is served. Is to get great information. And get it fast. So that like. Our supply chain. Can respond. However what happens is. People don't believe. Like outside of our apparatus here. That. What service is provided by us is good because they give us shitty information. And because of that, stuff takes longer or they mm. get the wrong parts. When really what mm-hmm. it is, is, and this is why I go back to this whole thing of if ever, like, you know, the zero sum game, it's all shit once we get back to it. Like, once, yeah. like, there's no avoiding the shit, it's all shit all the time. Well, Maybe I suppose it is, but things are better when you challenge yourself, when you go, hey, I don't know if this program is good or not, but I'm at least going to participate. I'm at least going to challenge myself to get better, as opposed to go, hmm, I'm lazy, and Mm -hmm. I believe my laziness should be rewarded, and because it's not, I'm going to shit all these people are actually trying. And I feel like that's kind of maybe simplistic. I, a lot of what's going on with the Pollock's attorney and immobility and Trumpism, never, never Trumpism. I was going to say Fox News, but for God's sakes, Brian Kilmeade challenged Sarah Huckabee Sanders <laughs> about Trump's withdrawal of Syrian troops. Uh, I'm sorry, Michelle. I, I feel like I've gone on a tangent here. Surprise. No,
2: no, no. That's okay. Keep going. Keep going. Um, What did Brian Kilmeade say?
0: Oh, that uh, Trump at one point said that Obama was the, uh, basically he created ISIS. Right. Trump said he defeated ISIS and then went back and was like, well, someone else will fight them. So Brian Kilmeade to Sarah Huckabee Sanders said Trump recreated ISIS. (laughs) Fox and Friends. Perhaps the worst show on Fox News, which is saying a lot, considering that. uh, (laughs) It's the
2: view for Fox, people.
0: (laughs) This is actually a very good segue. Considering that Tucker Carlson, who is now losing sponsors. Oh, good. Had a segment how (sighs) him and a guest talked about how terrible it was that apparently there's some movement to have gender neutral gingerbread people mhm yeah the war on christmas which
1: um i i which don't understand
0: is... <laughs> so <It's... laughs> uh, i'm, I'm trying to draw this we're loosely. talking about truth yes <laughs> loosely in the uh, attack on <laughs> institutions well and i think this is kind of where Snyder, he doesn't exactly go into it, but where it's much easier for strongmen like Putin to go, no, 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 we're being attacked because we're in the right. Right. And so a majority can go, oh, yes, we're defending the things that are right, like Christmas, because someone, I've never heard someone say no tell me happy holidays. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I say happy holidays just because I want to be inclusive. I'm not trying to not offend anybody. Yeah. It's just, I want to make sure that like, I actually oftentimes do Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Like,
2: right. Yeah. And you know, and I, I work with patients and right around this time of year, I say something like that. And I don't, he sometimes comes out of my mouth as "Happy Holidays," and sometimes comes out as "Merry Christmas" or "Have a good Christmas" or whatever. No one has ever freaked out on me for saying the "quote unquote" wrong thing—not once.
0: Nope, once
2: in my four years working in the medical field and my ten years in retail prior to that, no one has ever freaked out on me for saying the wrong thing. And you know, and in, in my head too. I don't, when I do say happy holidays, I don't even think (laughs) that this this may sound bad. I don't mean it to sound bad, but I don't even think about it as like inclusivity, but Christmas and New Year's are a week apart. Yep. Happy holidays, plural.
0: Yeah. It's almost like take care. I'll see when you get back.
2: Exactly. Like There's. There's massive amounts of holidays in a very short period of time during this year. So guess what? I hope on every of those holidays, you have a nice day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's all it means. It doesn't mean I don't believe in like, people's choices or their religious beliefs. And I certainly don't have a war on Christmas. I think I have problems with how we commercialize Christmas, but that's, that's a whole other thing.
0: So I was just thinking about that too,
2: right? And again, it's all of our years in retail, Noel.
0: That's
2: made me. I still don't like Christmas music.
0: Please, no.
2: I don't. I hate Christmas music. I still have my twelve-inch tall black Christmas tree that I bought at Borders ten years ago. That's my only Christmas decoration. I put up is a black (laughs) Christmas tree. (laughs) That's it. That's that's my entire decoration. But you know, the war on Christmas, like it's uh it's it's a complete falsehood. <laughs> and all it does it is. is piss people off and make them feel like they're attacked. That's totally like in a in a very like in a very specific and much smaller scale. One of the one of the tactics that Snyder
0: yes. talks about.
2: Yeah. <laughs> makes
0: sense no it it does
2: yeah it's a total falsehood and uh, so there was a really great article published by um, Carl Heisen uh, who is a contributor to the Miami Herald of all places but I googled war on Christmas and this was the first thing that popped up it was just published today and this article is titled the quote-unquote war on Christmas is a big uh, is as big a fiction as Santa Claus sorry kids And so he goes through like section by section, like some of the major like war on deals going on right now, at least for 2019. So you're, you're talking about the gingerbread people. Yes. So
0: (laughs) come on, internet.
2: uh, (laughs) Oh, are you still there?
0: There you go. Okay. Sorry. Cut out.
2: Okay. That's all right. I'm going to, I'm going to start again. Please do. To re to reassure viewers that the battle is real, Fox commentators have zero events. One is the dis- men as gingerbread persons in its coffee shop. <coughs> this is so dumb. This is so dumb that it's even mild indignation, much less <laughs> outraged. No child in. No child in the United Kingdom or anywhere on the planet pays attention to the Scottish Parliament.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh gosh. Yeah,
2: I thought that was great. It is. I, I, the other the other the other big thing for the war on Christmas is how some radio stations said they're not gonna play the song, baby. It's cold outside. Cause it basically sounds like date rape.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's creepy as fuck. <laughs>
2: If you listen to the words, it's creepy as fuck. Like, yep. I totally get it. At the same time, it's really cute in Elf when they sing it together, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> and so, just which I think they do, that, do like, on
0: purpose. It's like
2: they yeah. do on purpose. Yeah. Um, but, like, as he says in this article, like the lyrics don't even mention Christmas. It's just, baby, it's cold outside. It's a winter yep. night. That's it. Like, it could be any night of the year. It's not a Christmas song per se. So it says, um, Hyson uh, writes, Whoever is in charge of the war on Christmas should have attacked one of the cherished classics like Silent Night or even White Christmas. There's a slam dunk for Uh, all those leftist holiday wreckers. (laughs) (laughs) Also, most people don't even know any of the verses of Baby It's Cold Outside.
0: (laughs) I love those kind of attacks where they're like, hmm, rather than just (laughs) admit that our whole thing is fake, let's bring even more songs into this and show, like, uh-huh. and, like, at least display our own, like, racism and how, like, we might stuff is think stuff is racist or discriminatory uh-huh. by going, what about this? God, just, just n- no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just <laughs> no.
2: At the beginning of his article, he also talked about Obama. Obama was wearing a Santa hat, and he went to a hospital. How is that the war on Christmas? Obama? The, the lead figure of, you know, anti-conservative like, whatever horrible <laughs> he's going best with this hat how is that the war on Christmas, you know? But, but it, it's just it's it's another tactic, like that's, it's exactly the tactic used by the Russian boss. Got yep. the, it just and, like, no, no, no. It's because secretly is doing is tricking them and blah 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 you know what I mean like it's just there is no logic there is no truth
0: Nope, it's It's uh, all a
2: big fat lie
0: belief that the strongman will eventually get things right for you and the problem isn't that the strongman is a fucking lying piece of shit moron it's that (laughs) no one else goes along with their fucking racist lying piece of shit moron corrupt douchebag of a president Oh,
2: so, uh, Merry Christmas! We're de- Merry Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, y'all! Building. Um,
1: so, so
2: uh, How did you read Mattis's resignation letter?
0: I did not, but uh, mm. I've seen enough of it to know that. Uh, well, it's funny. People are like, oh, he's gonna, Mattis doesn't go out and like drag Trump in public. Mattis never did that. This was just a, mm-hmm. hey, uh, I'm a dignified guy who did my best, and here's my letter. Bye.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I, but, it, I mean, it's, as someone who is more informed on political science, and especially, like, the war on terror, mm-hmm. the big figurehead, or whatever it is I mean do, do you feel like it really came out of nowhere were you surprised by it were you um, surprised by it what do you
0: I'm sort of I'm not surprised but at the same time like I felt that Mattis had done a just almost unhealed unhuman inhuman whatever you call it um just a great job of i shouldn't say great because that implies that like eh.
2: goodness sir
0: well I, I i'm torn because i think a lot of madness i disagree with a lot of his decisions um in years past okay but i do not doubt his intellect at all like um he has a library at his house that i would kill to have and i know that he is very committed to history military history Mm -hmm. all this stuff and but at the same time he did his best to make facts and history work in a white house with Trump, which is so mm-hmm. weird, um, you know, I hear all the time from never, never Trump conservatives that like, why do liberals like all of a sudden like Jeff Sessions now that he got fired? That's not it. That's not it at all. It's that Jeff Sessions was a terrible <laughs> pick, thing. and the way that he was booted out the door was pretty shitty. And now we're going, well, we know he's going to pick somebody worse. Mattis is somebody that I think. Even myself would have been like, "I'm cool with that in a non-Trump White House."
1: Mm, yeah. Yes,
0: I may have had different you know, di- different opinion and stuff like that. Hell, I really respect Robert Gates, but when Gates came out and was like, "Yeah, Rex Tillerson is going to be great for Secretary of State," I'm like, what the fuck?
2: Right. Um,
0: so Mattis being well, basically completely shelved and going i'm out bye and gently rebuking trump to me seems like at the same time what he did while he was there where he tried to trick trump into believing the correct stuff and now is leaving with going well i want to have my dignity but at the same time i realize that Perhaps being sharp in my language about like how I feel about Trump is a bad idea.
1: Hmm.
0: So in the context of the Trump White House, I think his resignation letter from what I've seen is very good. I think mm. he did a good job as far as Trump goes. Hell, I was just telling a friend about this where I think Michael Kelly might be a very bad person as far as his morals go. But he may go down. As, well, at least, <laughs> um, I think effective would be a bad term, but uh, mm-hmm. Trump's least despicable chief of staff, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Because he's what, the third chief of staff
2: or something?
0: Second, but. Uh, oh,
2: second? Oh.
0: Ron's Priebus. Sorry. Hard to keep track. Dude, why did I give him the southern accent? He's from Wisconsin. That's weird. Um, he just talks (laughs) weird. Uh, Reince Priebus just, I think, was some sort of, like, weird (sighs) detente or sort of, like, agreement between the GOP and Trump to, like, hey, we'll get Mm. on board, but let's bring one of our own operators in here to run your staff. Right. But but that wasn't going to work. Um, right. As we see now, because the GOP is now fully, fully in the tank for Trump. So, yeah.
2: Yep. Well, they gotta be.
0: And I, I shouldn't give this too much because we should say this for a later episode. But whenever everyone asks me, like, why the GOP is doing this, like, do you think they believe in Trump? I give them instant out. And it's not that they believe in Trump. It's that they're scared as fuck because they don't know what their actual base believes. They've tapped into white supremacy and mm-hmm. um, authoritarianism so much, but for a while they believed, no, well, what the com- what the base actually wants is a small government, uh, personal it's responsibility. Amazing, it's yeah,
2: an- yeah, it's but it's so fucking amazing that. The small government purporters, especially within the government, are the ones that expand it the most. Yep. Paul Ryan. It's so shocking. It's so shocking. It just... Oh, yeah. Paul Ryan. Oh,
0: Jesus. No. They... All they cared about was power.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's about power. Exactly.
0: And what I I find just so infuriating about all this, and... Tying this back into Snyder's book, where he repeatedly calls out Trump as being a failed businessman Mm -hmm. who NBC and Russian oligarchs and crime bosses allowed to play this role as actual successful businessman when he was actually a terrible businessman, who still is a terrible Terrible. businessman. Yeah. Well, we we need the government to run more like a business. However, all of these publications that go to bat for Trump are funded by American oligarchs and happen for years. So like the Koch brothers, who Mm -hmm. I I love this about Snyder's book, where uh, Steve Bannon went to bat on behalf of one oligarchic family for a different oligarchic family, the Kochs. To protect, right. like you know, corporate money, and um, in the past couple of weeks, the Weekly Standard, who, for those of us that aren't, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, aren't centrist conservatives, didn't really mind seeing go because Bill Crystal or William Crystal, um, as he as his actual name, um, <laughs> he was someone that brought sarah palin to the foray he brought her to the forefront yeah. uh, because he thought that he she could basically bring what they thought was what the base actually wanted which was reaganism conservatism to wasilla alaska to the people throughout the country who they thought were more motivated by small governments um, uh, government rule um basically libertarian kind of ideas. Well, when, yeah,
2: because Sarah Palin, in her in her very, very short political yep. history, she stood up to the oil companies in Alaska.
0: Ish. Um, Ish. She stood up to some oil companies. Um,
2: Which is better than a lot of politicians, Noel, because most of them <laughs> just buy into those oil companies.
0: True. And she uh, sort of stood up to the bridge of nowhere, and, but didn't. Um, all this stuff is, <laughs> it, it takes a lot more, I guess, uh, I'll, I'll include notes because it takes a lot more reading than what yes. I can get into right now. Um, but so I, I will not give William Crystal a pass on that because if you're actually a, like, <laughs> going back to the uh, first principles, like, Trump administration letter, like, I'm anonymous. I work in the Trump administration and we're trying our best even though like, our boss is a moron. Yeah. No. At a certain point, I think Paul Ryan and other conservatives who are waving the white flag, who have been the worst of the Trump sycophants, have realized our base doesn't want what we what we think they want, and we're scared as fuck. Um, but there's a lot of never Trumper conservatives now who have basically gone we didn't think our party was as racist as it is and now we're going i was wrong shit mm. um and i think they're still scared of that like the whole party like you've seen that a lot of uh reliable conservative or republican voters didn't. so mm. the base is very very republican now but they're very very trumpy mm. um so yeah uh
2: they're very, they're very make America great again, which is totally a playbook of of uh, of Russia.
0: Exactly, and there's no actual like. Uh, it was just when you talked about the whole like Americans can do anything with American exceptionalism. Mm. Uh, I rewatched the second season of Fargo, the TV series yeah. on FX, and I love Bruce Campbell, who does a excellent Reagan impersonation. <laughs> and one of the characters asks uh, Bruce Campbell as Reagan, well, how do you believe that Americans can fix all this? Well, I believe that the American, f- American can fix anything and just walks away, offers nothing <laughs> more.
2: See, okay, so that's an example of the politics of inevitability. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that's the thing like like the politics of inevitability for Amer- american exceptionalism is that we are always getting to a greater truth a greater justice a greater equality a greater prosperity yep when you stop believing in that and you think oh everything is shitty all the time and as long as you make my enemies feel worse than i feel right now that's the politics of eternity and i i think that's kind of a way to summarize people who buy into trump oh yes <laughs> because it's make america great again that's a nostalgia to a time that never took place mm-hmm. but it's it's to, it's taking you back to a place where you in your station as a white american is better Than at least some other
0: Americans. Well, I think that's where Weekly Standard conservatism, National Review conservatism, conservatism that doesn't understand Trumpism remains is that they thought that they were merging uh, the politics of, you know, eternity, where not eternity, uh, inevitability, where they were actually moving things forward because people believe in these principles that. I can work for myself in the American Veterans if I can get it worked right myself and that there was no prejudice and that there was no racism. They thought that that was still the principle that guided their party for his principles, as opposed to the politics of envy, the politics of um, pettiness, the politics of, people like Ben Shapiro like to use right now of grievance, which they think mm. that blacks and minorities have when really grievance politics is a huge thing more so on the right with white people than is anything else. Right. Yeah. And they thought those things were just, well, they, they either ignored them or just thought they were like a byproduct to be ignored. And I think the ones that are honest are now realizing that, the politics of authoritarianism, the politics of white grievance, the politics of racism, all this stuff are the things that actually have kept them in power. And rather than like going, oh shit, we all fucked up, they're going, uh, well, we can fix this later. Just vote for us now. Because mm-hmm. um, I know you've read it, the uh, Strangers in Their Own Land,
1: yeah,
0: where the, the author talks about two politicians, both the Republican Party, showing up in a district and basically being ignored by the constituents there because they're like, no, we're going to vote for one of you two. We don't really care who. Mm-hmm. And they were into the whole, like, we're going to limit government uh, interference. We're going to limit all these regulations that make your jobs go away. Like, Man, we don't really care about that. We just uh, we don't want line cutters. That's where we're at right now. I think we've been there for a while. We just haven't been able to admit yeah. it. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it just bothers me that... <laughs> well, it doesn't bother me. It does bother me, but I, I, <laughs> I felt that in Sullivan's book, it was so much more like, okay, this all makes more sense now. It's not like these in all these different conspiracy theories woven together, it's like, you no, know, there are just people that believe this shit. Yeah. And uh, both parties, obviously, at one point or another, have been complicit in uh, allowing these things to happen. Just right now, um, one party is, and uh, it needs to go away.
2: Well, and that, but that's the other part of it, too, is that the, the party that is... Uh... Facilitating and exacerbating this type of thought, they they can only be as successful and uh, powerful um, by stating the other party party as their enemy. Yes, and, uh, and you know,
0: or the truth as their enemy, or the media as their enemy.
2: Exactly, because they're all one and the same. They're the enemy. Yep, doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter if it's real or not. Lies and and uh it's it's,
0: just... it's such a good book the politics of eternity because it just it it lays it bare where it's just that you're always on the right side of history and anything that comes at you which questions that is uh it makes you the the victim so you know war on yeah. christmas war on men which is ridiculous um Yeah, just all this shit. (laughs) Man, I actually thought this
2: this this book is unhinging. It it? is.
0: I very much enjoyed it. Like I so don't do that right now, but just let's do good things of the week so we can try and this wasn't as dark as that one where like, God damn it
2: (laughs) No, surprisingly no. No. (laughs) I feel like this one we would did pretty good job on. Same. So
0: Do you want to go first? You want me to go first?
2: Um, I can go first. Cool. So my good thing of the week, it's been it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded, so this is (laughs) technically last week. Yeah. But I'm still pretty stoked on it. I found out that um I get to go do another eye clinic. Um through the organization, one that I've been working with for a few years now.
1: Hells so yeah. I'm
2: I'm really really excited. This is going to be my second international clinic, and uh, in June I get to go to Brazil for a week. And uh, I don't know which city. I don't know where exactly in Brazil, but I did find out this week that I get to go on that clinic, and um, I'm really excited about that. That's gonna be that's gonna be pretty eye opening. It'll be a new. <laughs> a new continent uh you know let yeah. alone a new country <laughs> and this should be it should be really cool so that's my good thing of the week
0: that's awesome i will do my best to get this posted like tomorrow or sunday so that like okay. i post a link be like merry christmas um <laughs> because it is merry christmas um yes it happy is. holidays whatever just you know giving season whatever you
2: want guys yeah
0: um my good thing of the week and it's not as cool as yours although it is kind of cool um is the original Broadway cast recording of The Prom dropped on the 14th? Oh, so that's cool. out. And I don't know if you saw my Facebook status last night, Michelle, but like there are certain songs on there when I hear uh, Julia's sister sing, like, uh-huh. like tears just start falling down. I'm like, oh, stop, stop. <laughs> like, it, it's the music is fantastic. Um, and like the subject matter is also great and some of it too is like god no uh, uh, i know how much you love this uh, stop it <laughs> like <laughs> so that's really cool and like i've been humming that's to awesome. myself at work all week but like, what are you humming i'm like you want to know no <laughs> i'll tell you later then. just ask me for I
1: mean, it um.